Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Well, I'm still a little bit dizzy after all the NBA trade deadline action last few days. So I figured, it, hey, it was time to bring in my friend, Locked On Rockets host, Ben DuBose, to try to make sense of all of this. And what's more exciting, Ben, these last few hours are Harden shooting a three to send the Golden State game to overtime. Is it close? Is it close? <laughs> Not so much, only because the last few hours have brought such mixed reviews that it's tough to be fully excited. Uh, I'll say it's been interesting, but for sure excitement value. Give me the move that actually galvanizes the entire fan base, which is the uh, the Harden in Oakland. So here's what I picked up so far, and 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 see if uh, this makes sense to you. the The big part of what you know I understand is Ryan Anderson uh, and a first rounder and a second rounder gets you Amon Shumpert for half the season, and and I know you're going to say, and it also gets you some cap room, and maybe they can do something with that with. Uh, other things, but am I simplifying it to a degree, or is that is that kind of what it comes down to? I, I suppose it does. I, I would note it's not that it gets you cap room; it's that you you have bird rights now to Shumpert, and because if you take the Rockets at face value, which at this point I am, I don't think they're going to duck the tax. I think they saw this as an opportunity to avoid the repeater tax for the duration of the Chris Paul contract. But yeah, going back to the whole Ryan Anderson deal, yeah, ultimately. Uh, you gave up your 2019 first and DeAnthony Melton, uh, who was your mid-second from a year ago, to turn Ryan Anderson into the expiring contract of Iman Shumpert. I think that's a fair way to look at it, yeah. And, and another second-round pick because you had to get rid of those two guys that you, you got in that deal. Is, so it's actually two seconds and a first, really. Yeah, but that other second is heavily protected, so I don't think – that, that may be one that never conveys, or I think it's the lower of Houston and Golden State. So it's one of those technically you did, but it's it's not like a Knicks second. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and if people missed it, 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 it's Stauskas and Wade Baldwin also had to go out to make some room. But really, it's weird because now there's what? there's Before I ask you about Shumpert, there's 12 roster spots. So they're going to have to add at least two guys, but they've got room for three guys right now, right? Yes, they've got room for three. They almost certainly will not fill all three because... At this point, the benefit to the route they've, they've chosen is that they can get their non-tax season out of, out of the way now. So if you were to use all three roster spots, I mean, it's highly unlikely with them trying to use this as a season they don't pay the tax to use the 15th roster spot on a guy who's ultimately not going to play, barring extreme injuries or something crazy. So I think it's safe to say, even though there's three roster spots, one will never end up getting used. And then... They'll try and phase the other two. I think I can easily sign one, and then the other, you'll see like a, either a revolving door of 10 days or maybe what they'll do. They have two weeks to fill it. They can wait until later this month and then sign someone. By that point, the prorated amount might be uh, enough that they can still stay below the tax line. Yeah, call your lawyer if you don't quite understand everything Ben just said, but I, <laughs> I, I do want to ask you. So a few days ago, you had uh, messaged me thinking that the deal could be uh, for Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple with Memphis. That deal had me more excited because Temple and Jamichael Green look to be much better three-point shooters than Shumpert, and to me, that matters. And Garrett Temple's a really good defensive player. I don't know Jamichael Green that well, but also you would get two for one, uh, which I thought the more guys, the more numbers that the the Rockets could get because we could talk about buyouts but there's nothing guaranteed 
with buyouts. Uh, why don't you think that deal happened? Because all Memphis really got back was the corpse of Avery Bradley for those two, from what I understand. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, the Avery Bradley contract, while he's not especially good, he's slightly better than Brandon Knight, but more importantly, he's about $2 million cheaper. As I understand it, though, the bigger priority, Memphis wanted to wait. I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe the Clippers came into play, but Memphis wanted to wait until after they lined up a deal for either Gasol or Conley, and the Rockets didn't want to wait until the last day because, you you know, if you wait until the last day, you risk not being able to turn to a backup solution if plan A doesn't work. But yeah, the, you know, there were comments that uh, Mark Berman got from Tillman Fertitta last night, the Houston Sports Awards, about how they do things honorably, and he was alluding to a team that didn't follow through. Yeah, I'm, I believe pretty strongly that the Rockets thought they had a deal with Memphis, and ultimately, I don't know if the Grizzlies backed off so much as they tried to buy time, and once it had already gotten, you know, like I said, the Rockets thought they were closing in on a deal last weekend, and then once this thing got to, you know, Wednesday, the Rockets essentially said, look, we've got to either be in or move on to something else. And so they ended up moving on to something else. And so they get one piece from the deal, which Schumpert will definitely help them. And you could make a case. He's been a better, as far as wing defense, he's been better than Garrett Temple this year. The question is, as you said, they would get two. So be it a buyout or just simply converting Daniel House Jr., which they can do unilaterally, you do have more pressure now to fill that other spot with someone who can capably play. Yeah, sell me on Shumpert because, you know, I watched him with Cleveland over the years in the finals and, you know, he never, he never really knocked me over. I, I get it. He's a great he, he's a great guy in the locker room. Tell me about what you think he can bring and how do they incorporate him into this? Because that's uh, going to be interesting to me, how, how they're going to use him and where they're going to use him. Yeah, the word that Chris Paul used in the locker room in Sacramento last night was dog. And I think that's a good summary. He's got some of that P.J. Tucker characteristic to him, that bulldog tenacity. And I think that's going to play well. The one thing that gives me some hope about him, now he has improved his three-point shot. He's shooting almost 37% this year on nearly five attempts per game, so pretty high volume. It feels like because you know he started his career in New York with Mike D'Antoni, and then he was on the finals teams of the Cavs. So it feels like he's older than he is. He's only 28. So he's still relatively young. If he's developed his three-point shot, which this year he's taken a big tick upward, and it's worth noting he's playing nearly or has been playing 30 minutes per game close to it with the Kings, a winning team. So his contributions have helped a team win, a team that wasn't even expected to win. So clearly he's doing some things right. He's a good defender. All of those attributes are true. Where I think it's really intriguing his fit with the Rockets, and I'm sure you remember this, Robert. This is not the first time that they tried to go after him. They went after him July twenty uh, or no July first of 2017, and a lot of Rockets fans didn't understand why. That was when he was coming off a bad Finals run in Cleveland, decent in the season. I think he was pretty bad in the playoffs, and people wondered what are the Rockets doing. And ultimately, later that day, they signed PJ Tucker. A couple of weeks later than that, they signed Luke Bamute. So rather than acquire Shumpert then, they went the Tucker and Bamute route. But I always fouled it away as someone that, you know, clearly he's got history with Dan Tony. I think obviously he impressed him from his time in New York. So it's someone that, you know, when you factor in how close they were a year and a half ago to acquiring him, that's what makes me pretty convinced that no, it's not just because, well, he has a slightly lower salary and you conduct the tax. No, if it was as simple as that, then they could have just traded for Alec Burks, the straight-up deal with Cleveland, and you wouldn't have needed Sacramento a three-way, any of this. 
the fact that they've tried to get him before, it tells you that they see him as a good fit. D'Antoni has confidence in him. He is a good wing defender. And at this point, you just wait to see how he starts looking beginning Saturday night against the Thunder. All right. Now let's get to the buyout candidates because they're about as important as anything right now. And uh, Wes Matthews shocked me by signing with the Pacers. I, I guess he feels like that's a better long-term option for his career or something like that. I thought the the Rockets would, you know, they would have more money to give him. Obviously, a, a team that uh, might be able to go further with the Pacers uh, losing Oladipo for the rest of the season. But just looking at some of the other guys, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Robin Lopez, is there anybody else on that list? And, and who would you be excited that's left of the options that the uh, Rockets have? I'd be surprised if Ariza made it to uh, to the buyout market. Um, Ellington's a good shooter. I'd be intrigued by him. I'm watching Markeith Morris in New Orleans because I'm not sure what New Orleans is doing. They can't be planning on contending. In fact, uh, I mean, they benefit from the highest draft pick as possible to kickstart their rebuild. Effectively, what they were doing by taking Morris from the Wizards is letting them beneath the tax line. And there is a pretty good friendship between Markeith Morris and James Harden. If you remember last summer, Morris was at Harden's big charity weekend. They go back a few years. So the Rockets, you know, we talked about Jermichael Green earlier. Because the defense, it's not just the wing defense is the problem. They're also a bad rebounding team. Well, if you bring in Morris, that's more of a four. Now, the caveat to Morris is that he's not available right now. He's got a neck issue, so he may not be ready to go until about March 1st. But honestly, given their salary situation, that might be, that might be the best thing. So I'm keeping an eye on him. But the thing to be careful with, Robert, the reason why I wasn't that shocked by Wes Matthews going to Indiana – when you're talking about buyout candidates that are younger, many times they're wanting to – and when I say younger, I mean you know 32, not like Joe Johnson a year ago. Many times they're trying to position themselves for their next contract. So even if theoretically you know, the Rockets could offer a little bit more money or a chance to contend, it's not really about that. What they want is a path to minutes on a decent team so that this summer they're out they're available to go out on the market and they can put forth these numbers, this tape of, Hey, here's what I did down the stretch. Now you give me that bigger contract. And what's difficult for the Rockets is that after the Shumpert deal, you've got once Clint Capello returns, and that's only after three more games, you've got nine rotation players right now that you feel pretty good about. So what you're looking at acquiring, and I know Chris Paul, you know, he's not going to be healthy for every single game. There's going to be nights off, all that kind of stuff. But when you, can talk to these players and their agents and you can't promise them a defined role, it's tough to get the true upper echelon guys. So that's why I think, you know, even though they wanted Matthews, I don't think they could close the deal. And, you know, the same might be true with Ellington. I'm watching the Lakers with him. He's been there before. And of course the Lakers have a lot more issues than the Rockets do at the moment. So they might have to go further down the list. My sense is that it could push them back towards Daniel House Jr. because that's the one guy that they actually control. But if they do go to the buyout market, I would keep my eye on Marquis Morris because there's a very close relationship between Morris and Harden. And he's a guy, you know, waiting until March because of his neck injury, that might kind of push down interest around the league and it might benefit the Rockets financially because that helps uh, further keep them beneath the luxury tax by not having to pay him until that point. Yeah, I, I can promise them that they're going to get some playing time because Eric Gordon and Chris Paul will get hurt again. I mean, that's like... Right, a- I know. <laughs> and, and, and that's why it's 
that's why it's difficult for the Rockets, Robert, is because, you know, they, they know it's a big deal, but, you know, the agents, they want something concrete. And after the Shumpert deal, they can't offer them concrete. It's just kind of like, you know, trust us. Some of these guys are going to get hurt, that kind of thing. Or if nothing else, you know, we'll give them maintenance games so that they don't get hurt. But, yeah, that's sort of the, the uphill climb that Daryl Morey has is trying to, you know, now that you have nine guys you feel good about, you know, still making the claim to the players and more so their agents, you know, how are we going to use you? To me, that's the issue. The other thing is if they're better than Shumpert, how about that? You know, and, and that, that could be a possibility with some of these guys. They could be, but ultimately Shumpert gives them more of what they need. I won't say it's impossible, but generally because Shumpert is still a, a good defender, it would be tough. You know, most of these guys, you might can argue that some of them are better shooters, but I think for the Rockets, they feel pretty good about Shumpert. Uh, I think it's pretty telling that a night after James Ennis was plus 23 that they'd feel comfortable enough to let Ennis go. I mean, to me, that speaks volumes to the fact, and, uh, and as we said, they've been after him before. So it's not impossible, but ultimately I think they're penciling him in for what they need, and it's just up on him. It's up to him to deliver. The best thing that happened of the whole last 24 hours is that James Ennis is gone. <laughs> ben, I, I I did not like James Ennis at all. I did not like him on defense. I thought we were going to get a defensive guy. He had the athleticism. He had the length, but his brain power was not that great on defense. And there were too many times where he would foul guys for no reason. You, you would get into the bonus quickly because of James Ennis. He would let guys blow by him. And I don't understand somebody that looks like him defensively, how that could happen as much as it did. And offensively, you know, he'd drive me nuts too because every time he shot, it seems like he was wide, wide, wide open. And there were too many times where it was like an air ball or he barely nicked the rim, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, and defensively, he feels like a bit of a relic from past eras because he's physical, he's got the body type, but he blew the simple things. Like you said, the assignment, just staying in front of your man. I mean, way too often he... He gambles. He tried to be physical and get in foul trouble. But just the basic stuff like keeping your guy in front of you. Too often he didn't. I put up you know, a video on my Twitter feed a few days ago, just a basic backdoor cut from Devin Booker that just exposed him. And you've got to be ready for stuff like that. Just for a guy who was penciled in, you know, they leaked it to Tim McMahon of ESPN that they felt like he was their next Trevor Ariza. It was stunning the amount of just basic things that he didn't do right. And to me, you know, he just strikes me as the kind of guy who has a a good defensive reputation because he looks the part. And over the course of a game, he'll have a couple of steals, a couple of flashy plays. But when you actually watch him, it's just not there. So it's kind of fitting that that's the last summer acquisition to go because clearly, you know, the minimums they brought in, Carmelo, Michael Carter-Williams, James Ennis. Uh, Maury's gotten it right during the season with, obviously, Austin Rivers, Kenneth Fareed, Daniel House Jr. But, boy, those minimums in the summer, it's only fitting to let him go. Well, we've circled a name that uh, you've mentioned about four or five times so far. And, and to me, all of these buyout guys that I've heard about, everybody that's been mentioned, Shumpert and Ellington and you know Wes Matthews, whatever – the guy that's better than all of those guys, as far as I'm concerned, is Daniel House. What he did in those games that he played with the Rockets, Ben, showed me that uh, this guy is exactly what the Rockets need. He was a better version, I thought, of Trevor Ariza. Now, maybe 
you know, he wasn't as good as far as, uh, you know, the veteran leadership or, you know, some of the intangibles. But on the court, we're talking about 39 percent three point shooter. Uh, he was really solid defensively. You know, he, he Ariza was getting blown by a lot later uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in his time in Houston. But Daniel House was, you know, fantastic. And it's going to kill me if they don't bring him back. To me, that guy's way better than Shumpert at this point. And uh, he's the guy that I want to see actually starting with Chris Paul and James Harden come the playoff time and, and bring Eric Gordon off the bench with Shumpert and those other guys. I think that's plausible, and I think you know that's going to be to me the biggest storyline to watch when it comes to uh, the Rockets down the stretch. Are they fully committed to this three guard lineup, or do they want to get back the length, the exact formula they had a year ago? I've said before, I think they're pleasantly surprised by how playable that Gordon was in the Western Conference Finals, the three guard lineups in the fourth quarter. But obviously, they didn't start out that way. So to me, that's the question: Are you committed? to actually seeing this this through because when you look at when they made the switch in mid-December and then they kept it going in January and Joe Gordon's credit, he's played a little bit better, but I don't know how much of it was the fact that they really felt this was the way to go and how much of it was the fact that they needed a spark and James Ennis just was not cutting it for the reasons we said earlier. So to me, you know, now that they're starting to get a full deck They've got Shumpert, and there's an opportunity to bring House back. What do they do with that starting small forward spot? Are they truly committed to Eric Gordon in that, or was that just sort of you know, a marriage of necessity because you just needed someone to fill that role once uh, it became clear that James Ennis as your starting three wasn't cutting it? Please tell me House is coming back. I think he is, and I think it's more likely that he's coming back now that we're starting to see the buyouts, as we said earlier, come off the board. Because realistically, I think there's only one roster spot that you truly have room for. I don't know that you can, uh, at least at this stage, you might can later do both the buyout guy and house. And it would not surprise me if they did house in lieu of the buyout guy at this stage, just because the upper echelon buyout guys, as we said earlier, like Wes Matthews, they want the guaranteed role. Whereas, you know, house might want the role, but you know, tough luck. I mean, the Rockets have his rights. So to me, rather than take a lower tier buyout guy before they would go down the list, I think they would turn to house instead. And so ultimately, the longer we go without a leak of the Rockets actually landing a buyout, the more optimistic I am that ultimately they turn to house instead. And even if they have to bite the bullet and just convert him to the one year deal that he wants, that they say, you know, it's just a better talent than whoever they could get at the bottom of the buyout barrel. When Capella comes back, is there a chance that we're going to see lineups with him and the Manimal uh, both playing at the same time? Is there any way that you could do that? I'd be surprised. <laughs> you can't rule it out because, you know, last night, Kenneth Faree did hit his second three in a Rockets uniform. So you, you can't rule it out, especially situationally. Fareed hustles and he's been working on the threes. I just, I, I'd be very surprised, but I, I, I guess that's the right way to put it. Uh, not impossible, just a long shot. Can you get Capella a, a better, well, get him a nickname, period. He needs like a manimal nickname. He does. Are you working on that at all? I haven't thought about it, but yeah, he does. Uh, I guess we shouldn't name him after his uh, his weird hair thing now, because I think everyone agrees that that probably needs to go away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So other than that, I'm not sure what his distinctive uh, feature is. Other, than, Well, I mean, he, of course, he's got the finger wag thing, but so do a lot of players. That's kind of taken and borrowed from Dikembe and everyone else, so... 
I don't know. Let, let me think about that one. That's a good. That's a good idea. I've missed this. If you've mentioned this on your on your show, but I, it just feels like really quietly, Gerald Green, the last two months I would say has become a really good defensive player. All of a sudden, it depends on the matchup, but he can be. It's weird for a guy in his thirties, but he's got the kind of you know quick twitch athleticism to where you know he's going to have lapses. He always has. But for a Rockets team, I mean, I think his contrast stands out a lot, you know, compared to compared to guys like Ennis that aren't necessarily the quickest. We talked about that issue earlier. So the, the fact that he's, like I said, he can elevate quickly. He's fairly instinctive. Well, there's no reason with his athleticism that he couldn't be or shouldn't have been a good defender. But what the stuff that I've noticed is just the way he, his his contest, the way he's contesting every shot, he's fighting. Uh, against everything he's he's coming back and blocking shots blocking shots at the these this is stuff that I didn't see from him last year with when he came in with uh off the bench with the Rockets I think that's fair and I think it's also worth noting that last year I mean there was an issue with his conditioning didn't go through training camp signed off the not only was he signed off the scrap heap but then because they had that wave of injury he signed off the scrap heap and then he immediately started playing like 30 35 minutes because of that crazy run that he was on whereas this year going through camp I also think his fitness is a little bit better I know he's in his you know 30s now but I do think he's he's in better shape, and because of that, and and of course there's also more system familiarity, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean he's not the liability that a lot of people make him out to be just based on his reputation. There were a lot of crazy and what looked like horrible trades over the last week, Ben, and, and it, it was very obvious uh, which organizations would pull off the horrible trades because they they most of them have had a nice history of doing it, but. I, I want to start off by asking you about this uh, Porzingis deal because, to me, there's there's not even a question that this is a, was a terrible trade by the Knicks. But I, I will say this: I am a, li- a little bit more than a little bit concerned about Porzingis and his health. He's missed a hundred and close to like a hundred and thirty games right now over the la- over his entire career over the last four years, and he's somebody that is seven foot three. There's not a good history with guys that are with that length. Maybe I'm just trying to come up with something in my mind that uh, could ruin this train for for the Mavericks because it it feels like the Mavericks uh, within a a 12 month period came up with high rate way robbery on two max guys that are, could be two of the best young players in the NBA. If I don't say all this, they kind of did, but it's a little, I wonder if Dallas is on the upper class mediocrity treadmill. Now, they might not. You know, if Porzingis bounces back from the ACL and he truly becomes a star, it's possible. But the issue that makes it very tough for Dallas, and make no mistake about it, they had to do this trade. When you're in Dallas's shoes, you mentioned where they were 12 months ago. I mean, this is something they had to do. That said, they already did not have their 2019 pick. They gave that up to move up and get uh, Luka last year in the draft. And now you had to give up your 2021 and 2023 to get uh, Porzingis, because of that, you've also given up or you've made your 2020, your 2022 first-rounders off-limits because of the rule that you can't trade first in uh, consecutive years. So by and large, the Mavs are locked in, uh, at least for the next couple of years, Hardaway, Courtney Lee, those contracts are the reason why the Knicks are trading them in an effort to go after Kyrie, Kevin Durant, all that kind of stuff. So... As far as Dallas is concerned, they're better. There's upside. But what I think is the more reasonable scenario is that 
you know, unless Porzingis truly takes a leap to become a star, they're kind of ticketed for, you know, they'll constantly be, I say, 50 wins. Porzingis is a star when he when he's on the court. I mean, do you remember what he was doing last year? He was he was like 22. He, he was putting up Yao Ming 22 numbers. and six. But a lot of it, well, 22 and six, but a lot of it happened in the first 10 games of the season. He tailed off after that. And of course, you know, you mentioned Yao Ming. There's not a great injury history for guys that are seven foot three and yeah, taller. That's the other part. And yeah, and I'm not again. I'm not saying it's a bad trade. No, it's a great trade. They had to do this. It's just my my instinct. If you ask me to guess between you know his injury concerns, the fact that he's you know he's flashed. I don't know if I'd call him a superstar. I'd call him a star. But you know the fact that there's not really an immediate path to cap room. They don't have draft picks moving forward. My guess is that, you know, they end up in kind of like the, you know, upper 40s, low 50s win tier, but without, you know, an obvious step to the true contention level, you know, where you get to upper 50s, low 60s, all that kind of stuff. Eh, Luca, here's the deal. If you, if you do a good job of, of finding the, the, the smaller guys like Daryl's done and it, that's what it's going to come down to for them. But I mean, Luca's 19 years old. Right. And I think he's already like a top 10 player, Ben. I mean, he's that Oh, he's good. not a top 10. He's not a top 10, but he could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's shown you potential that he definitely could be. I'm not putting him there now by any stretch, but he could be. I mean, and that's the scenario where, you know, if he's top 10, if Porzingis is healthy, it could work. It's just, it, you know, you mentioned the Maury analogy, and that's true. I mean, if Maury would be the perfect GM for that situation because he is the best in the league, in my opinion, at MacGyvering his way out of tough roster spots like that. You know, we've seen it this year with Rivers and Freed and House, but the pressure is going to be on Dallas. How do they fill out that roster without draft picks? And of course, you can't really make big trades because all your draft picks are off limits that way as well. And at least for this coming summer, they're not going to have uh, a whole lot of cap room. So it's not impossible. Your more analogy is, you know, a perfect summation of what they need but the question is you know is there a Gerald Morey white that lives in Dallas Texas yeah I, I definitely think though Luke is going to be if, if he's not top 10 he's he's going to be and he a guy that can put up like a 30 10 10 game which uh, I think he's already done this year uh, yeah and, and he's 19 years old and and we saw what he did against the Rockets I mean he's he's one of those guys at the end of games and big moments he he already looks like he's there and he's huge He's like, uh, you know, he's a little bit James Harden, but taller. Uh, maybe not, you know, with all the other stuff that James can do, but he can do a lot of stuff. Uh, let me ask you about the uh, other trade that was uh, a huge one, which was the Sixers trade. What did you think of the Sixers trade? Because a lot of people are killing the Sixers on it. But, you know, they, they got, you know, four of the best players in the NBA now in their starting lineup. And, and with J.J. Redick, I mean, uh, to me, just on paper, it looks like the second best starting lineup in the NBA behind Golden State. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that they're willing to take a risk. I understand the value proposition, the draft picks, but if if the ownership's willing to keep uh, Harrison Butler, it's tough to see, you know, at least from a basketball standpoint, a big uh, step forward for either of those guys in free agency. And Robert, I'll be completely honest. Selfishly, I love it just because this is the first damn time that the Eastern Conference has been the winner at a trade deadline. To me, that's where the Rockets might have mo made the most inroads. I mean, you could legitimately make an argument that amongst the Western Conference playoff teams, Schumpert might have been the most impactful acquisition. 
because every marquee deal went out east. Gasol and the Raptors, you mentioned Harris and the Sixers. Milwaukee picked up Miritich. The Eastern teams, finally, instead of the West, those are the ones that step forward. And you know, conceivably, if somehow the Rockets get past the Warriors, then yeah, it makes the NBA Finals far, far from a formality, which it, it would have been a year ago. But as far as the Western Conference playoffs, that's the one kind of solace I get of this because, yeah, Harris, you know, with the Clippers, he's burned the Rockets. He's a good player. What will the fit be in Philadelphia alongside Butler, Simmons, and Embiid? You know, are there too many uh, players for one basketball? I mean, we know the narratives that will be out there. I mean, time will tell. But by and large, I mean, I applaud Philly for taking the risk. I mean, every time in this era of the Warriors, you see a, a team that doesn't, you know, play for five years from now, just selfishly as a basketball fan, I enjoy it. But from a Rockets perspective, I mean, I think it's great because the fact that the Rockets, you know, they didn't hit any home runs, but they've certainly made a lot of over the season uh, quality acquisitions. Maybe they have one more in them via buyouts. And finally, for a change, it's the Eastern Conference, those teams that did something. So maybe if nothing else, the Rockets get a competitive advantage that way. What in the world is Orlando doing? They're, they're giving up a first and second round pick for Markel Fultz. I mean, Markel Fultz is NBA's best cheerleader because he, he never sees the court. He's a mental case. He's a physical case. You don't even know if he's ever going to play. And they were just desperate to jump out of his contract, get rid of him somewhere and get a body. And they give him a good body in Jonathan Simmons. At most, it should have been a second round pick going to Philly on that. And that was it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you're starting to see, and in this case, it might have been desperation, but you're starting to see these smaller market franchises because the consolidation of stars is greater than ever, Robert. And if you're a team like Orlando, no matter how much shine is off, you're talking about a guy who's number one pick a couple of years ago at a market that's just desperate for something, any kind of traction and doesn't feel good, no matter how much cap room they have about attracting a star player there. And you're starting to see those markets take more risk. A lot of times it's, it, it can be just absorbing salary because they're not going to be able to spend that money anyway. Uh, we, we saw Phoenix do that with Tyler Johnson and uh, well Ellington, but they're buying out Ellington. But with Orlando, it's a bit different in that they're giving up rather than salary uh, capital. They're giving up draft capital, which inherently is more risky. But I think it's the same dynamic, which is – these smaller market teams, rather than just try and build a normal way, which is you know just kind of like butting their head against a wall, you're starting to see them get a little more desperate and just push the envelope. And we'll see if it pays off. Uh, personally, in this one, I'm right there with you. I'm skeptical. There's all these shiny objects, and you're you're getting these weird trades and all this stuff, and everybody's paying this paying attention to this team and that team. Meanwhile, the Milwaukee Bucks have the best record in the NBA, and they just got Miritich. And nobody's paying attention to them, Ben. And that th- that they could win the championship. I mean, what I was so impressed. They were the they have been the best team that I've seen that the Rockets have played this year, and that's including Golden State. I, I get it. Golden State has added Boogie, and it's not the playoffs, but they were the best team that the Rockets played this year from beginning to end. Maybe, although I will say that Philadelphia game, and I know the Rockets didn't really show up that one. I thought Philly looked really uh, intriguing as well. And now you add in Harris, although we'll see how that turns out. I'm with you that. Milwaukee is really, really good for the balance of the season. I'm just, I'm a little skeptical with the playoffs just because of Giannis's shooting difficulties. And, you know, I wonder against a Philly team with Butler, against the Raptors with Kawhi, not taking every other game off for load management, is there a way that a star player that 
can't shoot, can that hold up in the playoffs against upper echelon defenders? It might can. He's amazing. They're winning on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, I think they're incredibly well coached. I thought their plan against Harden was as good as any I've seen all season long. And even so, I think Harden's still at 40 and 10, which speaks to how ridiculous he is. But as far as the Bucs, I mean, I like everything about him. It's just, you know, playoff games many times in series, they swing on, you know, these games that are within five points in the last couple of minutes and somebody makes a play. And I mean, they could. I would love for Milwaukee, especially in that market, to to get to the finals. It's just if I was if I had to bet, I would go with Toronto or Philadelphia just because, you know, I trust given the limitations, I trust uh Butler and even Kawhi just to fringe more late and close games than I do Giannis based on his jumper limitations. Yeah, he didn't have to shoot. I mean, he's like plastic man. He takes like two <laughs> steps and he's at the basket and you can't, you know, he just yeah. walks around you because it's almost impossible. And then if he, if you do like double or triple him, he just fires it out and they got four guys all over the place that, and they got much better shooters than the Rockets do it. And on defense, that team was crazy good, Ben, because you would drop, I mean, they, they did the best job with the Rockets because they're so long and they were coming from you at all different angles, and they're really quick, and they were they could recover well with their athleticism, and of course with Giannis, you got that. So it's, there's just so much that uh, that they can do on offense and defense that I think will be really hard to stop in the playoffs. Yeah, it's you know the the one postseason series that I thought you know as it went along at Harden's career that he was most flummoxed was of course that Spurs series from 2017, and he's made adjustments to his game since then. He uses his floater more. But, you know, that was the whole dropping the second big strategy and could the Rockets attack in different ways at the time they couldn't. And the Bucks, I mean, they basically used that same strategy, except, you know, whereas the Spurs, it was challenging enough, the length had LaMarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol, two older guys. You know, with the, the Bucks, you had Giannis, you had uh, Brooke Lopez, who isn't athletic, but God, is he big. Uh, you had Thon Maker, although... And now you don't. But the point is, there's just a seemingly endless wave. I mean, it's like the Spurs defense from two years ago, except there's even more um, length and athleticism around the perimeter. So, I mean, it, it can be suffocating. And from just a matchup standpoint, yeah, that's one where if, uh, you know, let's play the perfect storm scenario where, you know, the Rockets catch fire and Chris Paul doesn't get hurt and they finish the job against Golden State this year. I will say from a Rockets matchup standpoint in particular, that's the team that I would least want to see should Houston pull off the miracle because ultimately they're the team that to me has the best recipe for, for guarding James Harden. Yeah, no question about that. But you mentioned the Sixers and man, Embiid, he was just a load for the, I mean, the Rockets didn't have Capella for that game. I don't think, right. but he's still just like, what do you do with that guy? Yeah, uh, yeah. To me, I don't put a lot of stock in just Embiid in that game because I think you know Fareed's just way too small, and that was his first game with the team too. But six foot eight, there's just there's just only so much that he can do. I think Capella makes that uh, a, a different matchup. But yeah, I mean Embiid's a beast, and it goes back to the theme of well, what we were saying earlier. I mean Philly, Toronto, Milwaukee. I mean Boston. We're not even talking about Boston because you know all they've been in the headlines for are this whole situation with. You know, is Kyrie going to resign? They want Davis, but, you know, at this point, Davis is trying to act like he doesn't want to be there. But, uh, I mean, on paper, that's a really good team, too. And, you know, if it's close, you know, we talked about in comparing Milwaukee to Toronto and Philly, you know, who's going to close the door if it's, you know, a tight game within five minutes, uh, within five points in the last two minutes? 
well, Kyrie Irving, for all of Boston's flaws, they're a good defensive team. They're well coached. And Kyrie is, you know, as dominant of a closer as there is, or at least can be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it plays into the whole, you know, the top of the Eastern Conference, it's the strongest it's been in a while, which certainly means the finals are not a formality for, you know, the Warriors, the Rockets, whoever. But overall, I mean, I do think it's it, it's good for the Rockets, but I think it's good for the league. I mean, it's the first time I'd really say in over five years that feels like there's actually some balance. You can point to the top of the Eastern Conference and say that, you know, other than Golden State, they look more daunting than any of the West teams right now. We've been talking for almost 40 minutes, and the best part about this so far is that we haven't had to talk about the Lakers and screw the Lakers, <laughs> and they left, got left out in the cold, and I just got to say, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, it's it, it's healthy for the league. It's funny to see, you know, the fans, and that seems so entitled. And, you know, it, it's a reflection, Robert. This whole stuff in the offseason – LeBron wanted to be there. It's pretty clear by now that certain off-court interest drove that desire. But from a basketball standpoint, playing alongside LeBron or or, or beyond that, just the, the mechanisms of forcing a trade in Anthony Davis's case, one guy who actually wanted to be there, it's not as simple as just snap your fingers and everything's going to fall into place. There's a lot of smart teams, which New Orleans are, and a lot of the free agents – you know, they want situations that aren't playing alongside LeBron. You know, I do think there was some truth in what Kevin Durant said a few months ago that, you know, some players don't want the circus. They don't want everything that comes with playing alongside LeBron. So for an NBA that's been just absurdly predictable the last four years, the Warriors and whoever LeBron's team is, you know, I, I think it's healthy. I think it's good. You know, certainly the Warriors are still the Warriors, unfortunately, and that's most relevant here in Houston. But League-wide, you know, I think it's good that LeBron doesn't get what he wants all that easily. And, you know, certainly there are some legitimate qualms with, uh, you know, his relationship with Rich Paul, the rise of Clutch Sports Group, all that kind of stuff. And the fact that they're having some difficulties, you know, I'm sure they'll get someone eventually because it's the Lakers, it's LeBron. But the fact that, you know, it's not as easy as they thought, I mean, that that provides hope, that provides balance for the rest of the league. And beyond just, you know, that logical case there's also as you said just the fact that it's funny you get to laugh at him ha ha you tried you struck out and now you've been losing games by 40 uh because of the chemistry concerns and trying to, ha- to trade half your team so you know that's a, a little petty thing but i enjoy that as well what was that chant that they were doing the other night with the the lakers players that were on the on the block lebron's gonna trade you <laughs> Bump, 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 bump. And the other thing was that the uh, I just I, I put this up on Twitter, Ben. I said uh, L.A. thought there wouldn't be a price to pay for making the Super Bowl on a bogus call. New Orleans says, "Not so fast, my friend." <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> I I hadn't seen them. That's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, New Orleans did get back at him, and you know, I loved the Wentworth thing on the jump yesterday, talking about how this was orchestrated. You know, some of these leaks and things that went along to make the Lakers thought think that they had a chance and ultimately, you know, publicizing the players that they offered. You know, I, I get a kick out of that. But like I said, at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's great. You know, it's an NBA. You know, the one problem in the league historically is that the balance of power, and you're never going to get away, you know, truly from the balance of power being concentrated in a select few markets just because, you know, basketball is so much about dominant players. But, you know, as with anything, you can overdo it. The last few years have been boring. This is the healthiest that, you know, the league as a whole has felt in a while. And, you know, I think this is kind of the best case scenario in that, you know, the Lakers are relevant again. You know, I buy the argument that the league is better with the Lakers not being 25 and 57. I get that. 
But at the same time, if the Lakers, LeBron can just walk into anywhere and get teams to bend over to them and give them whatever they want, then I don't, you know, ultimately then all you're doing is shifting the balance of power from, you know, the Cavs the last few years or the Warriors then over to the Lakers. And what you want is, you know, more teams feeling like they have a chance to actually build a winner. So seeing the Lakers strike out, yeah, I, I, selfishly, I enjoy it. Yeah, talk about the, your Locked On Rockets podcast a little bit because this has got to be a weird week for you because every time you record a show, by the time it ends, something else could have happened that you, you couldn't include in it. <laughs> yeah, it has been incredibly busy. I'm, oh God, I'm so glad. I hope that they don't have any buyouts so that, you know, I get a couple of days off. I don't have to record till probably Sunday morning after uh, they have the Thunder game late Saturday night because, yeah, it, the thing with with me and the, and the podcast, and it's stressful because I try and do mine as immediate as I can. You know, if there's breaking news like last night, the the Shumpert deal. You know, I got I got my friend Karthik, who's a really smart Rockets fan, and you know, got him on the phone for a conversation right after it happened. And you know, within hour hour and a half, the whole thing was produced and up. And and that's what I try to do because the thing is, you know, even amongst the Rockets community, there there are so many good podcast everyone and you know they're not all as regular as mine of course but from time to time especially when there's big news you know salman ali kelly eco uh there's just a lot of really good uh the red daddy four podcast is another one there's so many and of course hard to see at clutch fans there's so many options and you know i'm not saying that i'm dumb by any means but you know what's my unique value uh, against those guys who are also really good reporters and really plugged in and you know, my value, what I try and do is, you know, try and be as immediate as I can. And hopefully that provides value. It's more regular. But for weeks like this, long story short, it makes it stressful because, like I said, the one way I know I stand out is that mine, you know, it, it's first. It provides the immediate context. But that means being on standby. And if it's a week like this where Gerald Worry might do 50 million different things, uh, yeah, it's a little stressful. You're right about that. There's nothing better, though, than what the NBA's got set up as far as their trade deadline and, and, and all the action that they have. I mean, this is so great, Ben. Why, why can't we do this with Major League Baseball in the offseason, like free agency? I don't get it. I, I know. And, you know, part of it, of course, the difference between the teams, the salary caps. I mean, I really think that that is the biggest issue for why this is drug out in baseball. I mean, the, the real issue, the reason things move so fast and it's so exciting around the NBA in early uh, July is because there are only so many spots on the boat for each team before. And of course, you know, it's always going to be more tilted for the NBA because stars are more rare, all that kind of stuff. Baseball, individual stars, unless they're pitchers or maybe true MVP type hitters, not quite the same dynamic. But ultimately what ends up happening in the NBA, because especially with these better destinations, you know, if you don't sign someone, then ultimately that team is going to sign someone else and then you just run out of room. So that forces the action earlier. Whereas the baseball setup, what I think ends up happening is there's no real incentive to move earlier because, you know, even if the Phillies sign someone, then because there's no salary cap and, you know, you can always try and just short the revenue as much as you can, then Scott Boris, whoever the agent is, We'll just say, okay, well, we'll wait it out, and the Phillies might sign you as well. Uh, whereas with basketball, because everything is so structured, it just makes a dynamic to where these players, they know they have to sign early because if they don't, then a lot of their options are, are going to dry up. So 
to me, that's the biggest thing. I'm right there with you. I mean, this watching Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and this thing drag out for you know three months. I mean, it's like watching paint dry. It's terrible. But I'm just not sure how baseball fixes it until you actually put a uh, a salary cap in place or some sort of uh, actual limit. Because to me, that's what drives the NBA. It's just you know there's a limited there's a limited market, and at some point, uh, these players have to act or or else um, they're not going to have that opportunity. Yeah, we talked about, uh, just a reminder to everybody listening, we talked about just all these new rules that the MLB and the Players Association were talking about this week, that a lot of those rules are, are pretty cool, including a, the single trade deadline during the season, which I think would be great. But uh, yes, you would have to be a structure set up, Ben, and, and you said it perfectly. But go listen back to that for, for all our regular listeners if you missed it, because we talked to some baseball and we talked about the Texans and the Wade Miley trade, of course, with the Astros. But uh, Ben, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Lockdown Rockets coming at you every day. I think everybody knows about it by now, but uh, it's going to be fun the rest of the way. No doubt. Thanks for having me, Robert. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.